Hello, my intuitive friends. Welcome to the Dose of Inspiration podcast. I'm your host, Renee Novello. You may know me as a mom, a microdose advocate, and a creative. This podcast is all about revealing the magic in the mundane through doses of inspiring guest conversations that take us deeper within ourselves. It's all about the tiny doses of connection and creative expression that can add so much color into our world at times when we feel like we may be stuck or going through the motions. You can expect to hear expanded perspectives and inspiring human stories of transformation, all to support you along your most inspired and creative path. I am so grateful you are here and you have dropped in for your dose of inspiration. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm so grateful to have our guest with us today. She is a vulnerable storyteller and now an accomplished writer with a brand new published book. She's somebody who I have known for a few phases of life and to see her putting out an incredible story that everyone has to read and listen to. It is her debut memoir, Not What I Had in Mind, a motherhood origin story. It's now available for pre-order and Laura Diaz Freeland is here today to talk with us and share about this experience and this book writing. So settle in, grab a comfort beverage, get cozy, and just prepare to be captivated by the sense of hope that she brings through in everything that she is sharing in this story. So welcome, Laura. Thank you so much for having me, Renee. I'm so happy to be here. I literally finished your book this morning. You were so gracious to send me a copy. And I'm in that, uh, you know, when you watch a movie that's emotional or you read something that is so compelling, I'm in that space afterwards where I still cannot stop thinking about it. It really captured my heart. And yeah, to have you here and just to, to hear from you and what this has been like for you to live and now to recount and to share with the world. I'm so grateful. So thank you. Thank you for bringing your vulnerability to all of us in this way. It is an honor for sure. So I've always known you to be a poignant writer. I mean, you've had a blog, you've been a storyteller that so I can't say I'm surprised that you have birthed, literally no pun intended, this book, but to go through such a harrowing and vulnerable experience that is the births of your daughters was for you and to live through that and then to go back and to retell all of it in such intimate, raw detail. Start off by, first of all, telling us a little bit about you as a person and then get into what inspired you to tell this story, to go ahead and do the memoir. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a lifelong writer. From the time I was super little, I was writing quote unquote novels that my parents probably still have on their bookshelves somewhere. But as I grew up and realized I had to get a, a real job also, in air quotes, mm -hmm. I 
pursued marketing because I figured it allowed me to still do this thing I loved. I still would get to write, but it was a more respectable career. It was more a lucrative career that would allow me to take care of myself. So I worked in marketing for about 10 years. And when the twins were born, I had to stop working, which I will get into that story. But there was not another option for a lot of reasons that had to do with both the twins and with me. Uh, So I didn't work for the first two years of their lives. And around the time they turned two, I mean, even before I was itching to do something creative. And if there's anything I've learned about myself through the many seasons of life, it's that I am a creator and I'm happiest when I'm making something from nothing, anything, right? It could be words, but it could also be paintings or or designing a, a room where there's nothing in it, right? I love to create. And I was itching to do that. And around the time that the girls t- turned two, they were in a good place. I was in a good place. And I started writing again. And this book has been on my mind and on my heart since the girls were in the hospital when I didn't even know if they were going to make it. I knew that Whatever the story was, it wasn't in vain. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one to say everything happens for a reason, but I am one to say, like, I can I can create something from this grief. I can create something from this experience. I can make it beautiful, right? Yeah. And so I started writing a newsletter again. I was writing a lot about food because that was a big part of the twins' healing journey. And then I just kept coming back to this story. And I wrote it a million different ways because it is, you touched on the fact that it is very vulnerable, but it was very scary to be that vulnerable. And so it didn't start out that way. I mean, I even tried to write it as fiction because I just wanted Mm. to separate myself from it, but it didn't work. And I ended up having a conversation with a friend of mine who also wrote a very intimate memoir. Her name is Asha Juno. And she was essentially what she said to me is stop thinking about who is going to read it or if it's going to sell or what the end product is and just start writing. And it was the most liberating advice. And I just, I did. That was last summer. And so now a year later, the book is edited and it is, I'm recording the audiobook right now. But to give a little bit of background, because I like hinted at things and didn't um, really give a lot of context for it. So my daughters are identical twins. They were born two days apart, one at 22 weeks, five days gestation, and one at 23 weeks gestation. In most of the world, viable babies are babies born at 24 weeks gestation. And some places don't even really like to intervene there. I don't know. I'm not familiar with the way things work in the whole world. But in the United States, 24 weeks gestation is the accepted line of viability. There are hospitals that will intervene at 22 and 23 weeks. 
But even in those hospitals, their survival rates are very low. Mm-hmm. I didn't know any of this when I had the twins. Yeah, in fact, the book opens with my husband and I having to make a decision about whether or not we were going to sign a do not resuscitate order so that when they were born, we would not intervene. Um, Spoiler alert, everyone knows that this story has a happy ending because if you go on Instagram, you can see that my daughters are alive and well and absolutely perfect. They are going to be four this year. And wow. Yeah. So it, but it was a long and, and very scary road. It was not a straight path. And I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the American healthcare system. Yes. And so I wrote this story to reveal some of that to people, but mostly I wrote it to connect because motherhood is really not what I had in mind. And I realized it's probably the case for everyone. Well, there's a few things you just shared there that I would love to touch on because I, when I read in the first chapter, part of the experience the experience you were having and I'm just going to read this one part because this just shook me I literally was sitting outside in 90 degree weather with full body chills and you wrote that I can you're sweating through the rise and fall of each contraction while considering the fact that there's no way to know whether my kids will live unless I give them a chance Jared your husband writes the time and duration of each contraction i consider a peaceful death is it selfish to keep them alive is it faithless to let them die i need to decide quickly seeing as how the children in question could be making their debut at any moment but i have no basis for it all i have is this one doctor unreliable internet searches and of course a pamphlet i just what you're speaking to in terms of the title which i think is so genius i love the title of this book because i think it is so relatable it's it's something that i think every single mother on the planet can relate to not what i had in mind to some degree right obviously there's a large continuum there of what that can look like and you went to the depths of the most extreme circumstances in an instant and had to make literally life or death choices that affected the rest of your life and also two little innocent beings potentially. And when you were in that moment and the amount of resilience I think that you probably have just (laughs) cultivated through this experience, how in that moment did you feel optimistic or were you just like, I have no idea what's going to happen? Like, what was the feeling of that that experience at that time? So I was not optimistic. In fact, I did not write this in the book. Um, but when I was admitted to the hospital, my mom showed up and I said to her, the babies are going to be born and they're going to die. Mm. Uh, I was sure they were going to die. Which was why originally we had agreed to sign a DNR, which you have to read the book to find out how that played out. But yeah, Jared and I had originally decided to sign a DNR because we just didn't see how this could possibly end well for anyone. Uh, 
but I also there was so much I didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. So now, if I had to do it again, I would. Which sounds insane if you read the book, but I understand so much more. It just so happened that I had the twins in the number one NICU in the state of Florida and that they have a team that is dedicated to resuscitating babies at 22 and 23 weeks gestation. Like they actually dedicate themselves to improving outcomes. So at that Mm -hmm. hospital, more babies born at 22 weeks live than die. That is definitely not the case for every hospital that intervenes, but I didn't know any of that. Um, And because things were done differently then, so people didn't come down to explain that. Um, And even like the twins were a big part of them, of this hospital getting on the map for those kind of survival rates and their protocols. But that's kind of all the clinical side of things. I, I share all of that to say I had no idea, no clinical understanding of what was happening. So I was very pessimistic mm-hmm. and I expected them to die. Yeah. And so somewhere in your mind, maybe it would make it a little easier if you just prepared yourself mentally for that awful worst case scenario. And the the fact that Let's just talk about divine intervention here first. If you want to call it that or what you just shared about being so close to such a prominent hospital that was able to actually have the doctors and the resources to help you help them and to move through this experience. We what like I can't even wrap my mind around the fact that that is the the setup that you had right there and then of course you didn't know i mean no one no one's researching those things until they absolutely have to right and at that time yeah at that time too if you did a search it just like a google search it would just tell you that babies born at 22 weeks have less than a 10 percent survival rate like now there's insane research and you'll find like a study was just published in july uh, out of Japan, where they have had an 82.9% survival rate Whoa. for babies born at 22 weeks. And also with minimal long-term complications, like very minimal. But none of that information was available when I had the twins in, in 2019. So just in four years. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Obviously, this story is of your resilience and your grit and strength. and going through a traumatic ordeal that was how how long were they in the hospital so vivian who is baby a was in the hospital for 135 days which is i mean this sounds i can say this now uh which is average, I would say, for a baby born as early as she was. Mm -hmm. She came home two weeks after what her due date would have been. And then Margot was in the hospital for seven and a half months, so 224 days. And it was very complicated. And it was really touch and go until maybe the last five weeks that she was. It was only in the last five weeks that we knew we were going to get her home. Wow. 
this such a simplistic question to ask? I don't even know if it's the right question to ask, but how did you cope? Like, how did you not lose your mind? How did you not crash and burn and just crumble? The endurance to show up and to deal with doctors and terminology and with such a emotional part of you, right? That's now outside of you trying to survive. How did you cope? Did you just do it? it? I mean, I did just do it. I think in retrospect, I can, and after a lot of therapy, I can kind of break down the different seasons I was in, but I did just do it. And I think I realize after going through this, people often will say, like, oh, I could never do that. But that's exactly what I would have told you three days before my daughters were born, right? I would have told you that if that happens to me, I would die, Mm -hmm. but I didn't. And I think everyone has their way of coping. And I know that from watching people within this community, right? Because I'm now part of this community of people with extremely premature babies uh, that everyone copes very differently. So my coping was to remain pretty detached for a really long time and angry right so I I didn't break down and cry I just was mad at everyone Mm. Uh, I didn't I didn't always show that but that's that's how I felt and I think that comes across a lot in the book I was mad at a lot of people who did not deserve for me to be mad at them for a long time but it was the only way that I could get up in the morning and keep doing what I was doing. Now, it once the girls came home, I paid dearly for all of the emotions I had avoided and for all the things I had not talked about for those seven and a half months because I experienced like such a rush of, of feelings and thoughts and just actually realizing what had just happened to me and my family that I was useless for a year almost after they came home. Like I suffered a lot of mental health challenges, uh, which I'm very open about in the book, but it took me, it took me a long time to get to a place where I am not angry i am not sad i don't even i think i even have successfully grieved Mm. that i will never birth a newborn and take her home from the hospital like that's never going to happen for me and i have successfully grieved that that sounds so weird to say successfully grieved but like Mm. i'm okay with that i'm at peace with Mm. that being my story But it was not, I wouldn't say I coped gracefully. I would say I survived. Right. Which is really all all of us did. And when I say all of us, I mean my husband, my parents were also very, very involved in the girls' care. They were in the NICU every day until COVID uh, started and they couldn't come anymore. So my parents coped in their way and Jared coped in his way and obviously I'm the mother so it's different and so it makes sense that my coping 
was more intense and kind yeah. of insane, <laughs> insane. But, you know, I think I, I really believe after going through what I went through that it doesn't make me different from most moms. It's it really is what we all would do, even if we don't think we would be able to do it in theory. Kind of like that, you know, <clears throat> um, what is that like survival mechanism of mother's strength like if there's a car on top of their baby or something and they have all of a sudden the superhuman strength to do what you have to do in that moment that you never could do otherwise and your superhuman strength just happened to last for years right yeah but I mean it's truly I could go on about this for a long time because in retrospect I have often reflected on how oh my gosh it was a total God thing that we were at this hospital and this was our situation because if we weren't, then the girls would have just died. I would have just believed the doctors. But then like time after time, since I've been a part of this 22-weeker community, mm. I have met women who have fought, I mean, tooth and nail to be transferred or to get their baby transferred to a hospital that would give them a chance. And it actually took me writing the book and telling some of those women's stories mm -hmm. to realize I might be selling myself short, that maybe I I would have, that probably I wouldn't have just taken no for an answer once I made up my mind that I did want intervention. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think that until I started to hear stories from all of these other women. I really have learned that we have no idea what we are capable of as moms until we are like backed into a corner and that's when we really find out what we're made of i mean i'm sure you have so many lasting sentiments from processing this going through it living through it but is that kind of the core feeling that you feel after going through it is it a sense of empowerment that you can do something and sustain something that is turn your life upside down isn't even beginning to describe what we're dealing with of ups and downs is it an empowering yeah. feeling or does it still feel like surreal it depends on where i am looking at it from at the moment um i think normally it is very empowering and one thing that came out of it is I'm really unfazed by things that are not life or death, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I feel like I can do anything, which is a little bit dangerous that I feel like I can handle anything after what we went through. On the other hand, if I am going through pictures or videos, or even when I was writing the book and having to read back through it aloud right, for editing purposes, I would stop and think, I cannot believe this happened to me. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe this happened to my daughters. Like, this actually happened. Because today, if you, you look at them, I, I spend the day with them every day, You, it would never occur to somebody who meets my daughters to, to think, oh, they must have gone through something horrible they must have been cut open mm. right a, a dozen times and put back together nobody would think that they would just 
maybe ask like, oh, when did you find out they needed glasses? But like yeah. that is the extent of what wow. people might ask now. And as you mentioned, spoiler alert, they are thriving. And I know that this has had a lasting impact, obviously. How can it not? How has this changed your perspective on life in general? For sure, it has given me perspective on what is important and what is not. The other thing is, in the aftermath of the NICU, there was still so much I had to do to get my daughters to this point where they were thriving. I mean, we feed these kids an impeccable, impeccable diet, and they had all of these therapies. Nobody even them unless they had been quarantined right Mm -hmm. until they were like two years old because they have premature lungs and it was a huge risk not just covid but like the flu Mm -hmm. a common cold would have been a huge risk Uh, even just like last december margot got pneumonia and she was in the hospital for eight days so Mm -hmm. there are still risks right although the older they get the more those risks are reduced but Anyway, I all of that to say that one of the things that has really shifted is me not really caring what people outside of my family think of as extreme or too much Mm -hmm. Um, because it does look like it. If you are a healthy parent with healthy children and you looked at my life of my zero convenience food kitchen and me making people wear a mask until the end of 2022 if they wanted to see my daughters uh you would be like this woman is nuts and I really just don't care if people think that because it got us to where we are oh yeah which made me trust my judgment more and just care way less about people who could not possibly understand the how clinically loaded and complicated the situation was for sure yeah you earned that that was hard earned nuts right there (laughs) yeah I mean I'm like I just do not care if people think I'm extreme I mean now obvious now I'm much more relaxed um but in that in those two years after the girls were born I was like yeah, I don't care what you think. I don't care if you think everything is okay. I am the one running the ship here. So That's right. Yeah. And obviously what you are doing is working and you got to definitely hold true to what you feel like is right for you and your family. I totally get that. And having perspective to no longer caring what people think, all of that is so freeing, but also hard-earned in your case to get there. In writing this book, what was really what you wanted people to feel when they were writing it? Or what did you want people to get from it? Because I know you made mention before we started recording that it's not necessarily a story about having premature babies, right? But what did you want people to feel when they read this? Yeah, so for sure, I did not want people to think it was a story about prematurity. I wanted this book to connect people for people to feel empathy not towards me 
but where it's all mothers because motherhood is hard, whether your kids are in a hospital or at home. Uh, so it was really the the foundation of the book is this deep empathy that is shared between mothers that I found was very unique. Like, I don't think I've ever felt empathy for another person the way I feel empathy for moms since becoming a mom. So I think that was a huge foundation for the book uh, on which it was written. Now, I did really strive to make this a book that was compulsively readable. Like that was my goal with the story is that no matter what your motherhood origin story is, I wanted it to be a book where people read it. And and even though they know because they can go on Instagram, they know it ends well, they could not wait to find out how it ended. They couldn't wait to find out what happened next and that they had those high highs and those low lows throughout the story, which is why I wrote it in present tense, because it makes you mm. feel like you're really in it. Um, and then at my hope was that people would learn something along the way, right? I wanted to entertain. I wanted to connect. But my my goal is that through that entertainment and through that connection, people might learn something about prematurity, about medical complexities in in motherhood, about viability, um, because those are not things that you would seek out normally. Like mm -hmm. the thing I learned is that I didn't know anything about any of this until it was really too late for me to get informed. So I wanted to write a story that was compelling and that would inform so that people would have this information should they or anyone they love find themselves mm. in a situation like the one I was in or the one my friend Kayla and my friend Kim and my friend Andrea who I write about in the book they all have nicknames in the book but actually no they don't no they're good um, I was like wait I gave, I gave a lot of nicknames and I was like yeah. I just blew everyone's cover but they, I, I think most of those yeah they were named um but yeah, I wanted people to be to to have an experience that they enjoyed reading the book, but for them to learn that because people don't seek it out. No one is like, oh, I'd really like to learn about prematurity today because no one thinks their baby is going to be premature. No one is like, oh, I really want to learn about uh, viability and outcomes for 22 weekers at the University of Iowa. Like, no, right. you don't seek that information out until it's far too late. And so this seeds that so that people are empowered if they or someone they love ever find themselves in that position. Well, well done. I, as I told you, literally could not put it down. I had less than a week with it and I was like, oh, maybe I'll just skim. And as soon as I read the first chapter, I was like all in. And I felt like I was going along this experience with you, highs and lows. And also, I love that you infused humor and you infused some snarkiness and you were so real. And all of that was endearing as a compliment to such a harrowing story. 
to have that be a part of it because that's what I appreciate was that, well, this is obviously the worst possible case scenario, but look at this and how she has made this feel actually kind of even humorous in the moment. And the nicknames you gave all the caretaking teams and doctors was just endearing, Laura. Like I learned, to your point, a lot that I had no idea about. Uh, and I was thoroughly entertained and along for the ride. And I finished it in just a couple of days, no problem. And was like, wow, that left an imprint. I will never forget the story. So well done. Thank you. It makes me so happy because at this point, so few people have actually gotten to read it start to finish. And so it means so much to me that you had the exact experience I wanted people to have when they read it. Yep. It's landing. It's going to land in a big way. And I know, I mean, I was reading it thinking about, oh my gosh, I, this friend of mine needs to read this. Like I, I pre-ordered it because I'm going to give it to somebody that I had in mind when I was reading it. And I'm like, this is a story that is just so well told. It's the hardest thing someone could go through. I have a question because I was thinking about the details. I'm like, how did she keep track of all these details? Was this you recalling or were you literally in the midst of going through this and kind of keeping track of things? Were you like taking notes along the way and journaling, thinking one day I'm going to tell this story and this is going to be a doozy? Or were, did you have to go back and relive? This is such a good question. So I did not journal while the twins were in the NICU. I structured this entire book based on my most vivid memories mm -hmm. so I actually started with just a list of things that I could close my eyes and be right back there in the room when they happened because it was so vivid to me and that being said that book is everything I remember there is nothing really I only remember those moments and a lot happened in between those moments, right? You see it, everything is dated. And so you'll see I'll suddenly like skip two months. And it's because that's a trauma response to just block out whole seasons of your life, mm -hmm. right? So the book was structured based on those moments because I wanted it to be truthful so I could only write about what I really remembered. The medical details, I no right because it was it's permanent right those diagnoses all of those things that i that i talk about are things that have affected the way we live they've affected the way i go into doctor's appointments so those are all things that i learned and for a long time up until the girls were about 18 months they were things that were very relevant because we were still going to doctors and getting therapies for these things so that the medical details were just things that came from my head. The timeline, like exactly when things happened, I used the discharge summaries. So I have their medical, which are basically uh, the cliff notes on yeah. their NICU stay. And so I used the dates on their medical records to match it to when things happened which is why some things have very exact dates and then some things just have a month and a year. And it's because I wanted to be as truthful as I could be and as factual as I could be. And so things that I had exact dates for, I put exact dates, but if I didn't, I didn't. Mm. Yeah. 
And that's the way it felt reading it was these were the most vivid, detailed parts of this experience. And that there were some pieces that you probably, for a very good reason, could not recall or could not get to. And all of that, a nod to realness, a nod to the vulnerability of living through something like this. I mean, it's amazing the the capacity for a mother who wants to apply herself into helping her child what is possible in terms of digesting and understanding things that you never thought you'd be learning yeah. or experiencing. That is in of itself just its own phenomenon of mothers. I know, like, I wish I didn't. That's like always right? my, when I get into conversations and people are like, how do you know all this? And I'm just like, oh, trust me, I, I really wish I didn't. But yeah, you're like, uh, I've lived it. Yeah. When does it release? November 8th. November 8th. Okay. Awesome. And from here, do you feel like you identify with being an activist now in terms of um, prematurity and awareness of, of babies that are born that that premature? Or do you feel like this is just like uh, something that is obviously a natural result of your experience? Like where do you think you'll write more? I'm just curious, like where do you even go from here besides being present and, and a mom to your beautiful girls? Activist is a really strong word. Um, and I think what I'm about to say is going to be really loaded, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I feel like this is a really safe space, is I think women should be able to choose. And so if we're going to fight for women to be able to choose one way, then we should also fight for women to be able to choose the other way. And the fact is there are a lot of hospitals, a lot, most hospitals. That would have told me there's nothing we can do. You can hold your babies until they die. My stance is that mothers of extremely premature babies, which is they're also called peri viable babies at 22 and 23 weeks gestation, should have the right to choose whether or not they want intervention and they should have the information they need to make that choice. Because I do not think there's only one right choice. I like would never hold it against someone who decided not to intervene because it is brutal and you don't know what you're going to get, right? So I also yeah. want to make sure that, that that is heard on this podcast is, yes, my daughters are thriving, thriving. They have no delays. They are, they are bilingual. They are perfect, but that is not always true. Right. Now the data is very skewed to tell you that my daughters are an anomaly. Mm -hmm. They are not an anomaly. Like that's not true. Um, in centers that dedicate themselves to improving outcomes for 22 and 23 weekers, my daughters are not an anomaly. That doesn't mean it's the only possible outcome. A lot exists between dead and alive. Yeah. It is not black and white. And so I, I do believe that parents should be informed before they make this decision, but informed with actual data, right? Not like generally. 
physicians in run-of-the-mill NICUs across the country are pretty pessimistic about outcomes with 22-weekers because they haven't seen it. But if you go to a center like the University of Iowa or like Winnie Palmer, where the twins were born, or like the center in Japan, those physicians are very optimistic because they've seen it. They have protocols. And so I am a proponent of equipping pregnant women with this information before they find themselves in such a horrible situation. Um, what they choose is is their choice. And I really believe that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they should make the choice based on one physician who tells them babies like this don't survive. So that's my stance as far as like whether or not I'm an activist. Probably some people might say I am. Um, and I just think I'm pro-empowerment. Mm-hmm. The other piece uh, where I'm going next, I really hope to continue writing about this topic and other topics within the realm of motherhood that are really important to me, like health, nutrition, um, and even just one thing that I'm very passionate about is raising bilingual children, if you can, right? Like making sure that your children have that piece of your heritage, if you can give it to them, which is a really hard thing to do in the United States. And so that's another topic that I have been living out and researching and am hopeful that I will be writing another book in the coming years about that. Yeah. And I was beyond touched by everything that you put in this book. And and like I said, it was a felt experience that will stay with me. And I just appreciate that you are someone who digs deep and you are someone that has high standards and be able to help people to also dig deep in their most vulnerable time when literally I can't imagine the strength of even having the wherewithal to not just take the team that's in front of you word because I mean you're at your most vulnerable state ever probably it's a life or death situation these are the people that you have to work with one way or another and if they're not instilling you with a sense of faith and optimism how to help people to get a layer deeper and to seek out other resources and and other opinions and mean in a very I imagine fast-paced situation where you have to make a decision pretty quickly and you know being able to have this sort of information be more widespread I think is just incredibly important too yeah absolutely so as we're wrapping up here I is there anything else in this book or anything else that you feel inspired to share I mean you have to read the book but is there anything else that you want to leave people with anything at all from this or that you have as a takeaway yourself yeah, I, I just want to share that this is, it is my story, but this book isn't about me. It is about mothering, right? And this connection that we have, this, what I call in the book, a wild thread of love and lunacy that connects us. I love that. Tell people, though, about how they can connect with you and pre-order your book and what also the goodie is for pre-ordering 
Yes, absolutely. So I publish a weekly newsletter called This Is Not Advice. You can subscribe to it at laurahere.com. The book is available for pre-order on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Bookshop.org, which supports local bookstores. And when you pre-order, if you email me your receipt at heythere at laurahere.com, I will be sending out some goodies, including the first chapter of the audiobook. Beautiful. I'll put all that in the show notes. That is awesome. Yes. Thank you for coming on and telling us more behind the scenes of what it was like in sharing the story, going through this journey. I just can't say enough about how heartfelt this was for me watching you go through this and then to be able to be brought in to see what you went through is it's really brave. And I'm just, I'm here with such reverence for what you have been through and who you are, Laura. I really appreciate you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for reading and just sharing your response. It has been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post on social media, or leave a rating and review. It would mean the world to me. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me over on Instagram at feelgoodwithrenee. Thanks again, and I will see you next time.